Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. All right, we are finally back with another episode of the Forever Mighty Podcast. It's been a while. Uh, to be fair, we only missed one show. To we did fair. technically record a show. I I guess it would have been on the weekend last weekend. Stephen and I recorded one, but the audio got completely butchered, so it didn't end up getting released. <laughs> and then I fell asleep and missed uh, recording our last show. Uh, but we're here. We're here, and we chose the perfect game. To come oh, back yeah. for it. <laughs> Ignore those two wins. <laughs> Who gives a crap about that? Let's let's get to the blowout loss. Hey, in, in the in the sense of the podcast here, we're still on a losing streak. <laughs> we ha- we haven't technically been here and, and released an audio version of the episode in a Ducks win. So we completely missed that two game losing streak. So we can treat this as a ten game losing streak at this point. <laughs> ten games. Sorry, more than nine <laughs> times. Ferris Bueller. Nine times. Oh, man. But you know, in, in all honesty, that last game was – it was still bad, but it was a lot more fun than this game was, right? The Ducks blew a couple leads in that game, ended up winning in overtime off a nice Trevor Zegers assist. This one was just not not fun all the way throughout. Even even the, the only goal we got from Sam Steele was a bit of a, a jumbled mess shot from Delorier that kind of bounced off Steele's skate and – the heel of his stick and, and into the back of the net. And it always stings a little bit more when you, you get kind of beat by a guy who hasn't made an NHL start in about five years. <laughs> he comes in and has a 33 save performance and 
gets beat by uh, you know an unlucky goal. Otherwise, he would have had a shutout. Yeah, if it's not the Ducks giving up uh, the first career goal to somebody, it's a dude who hasn't played in five years and just plays lights out, and the Ducks have to lose to him. Never mind Gibson on the other end, you know, uh, all-star, uh, you know, uh, franchise goaltender. We'll just get this guy uh, from Canada real quick because Jonathan Quick's hurt and Peterson was crap, so we'll just throw him in there and see what sticks. And, hey, why not, you know, that's just how, how, how we have to live life right now as Ducks fans. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we see Josh Manson and Troy Terry check out a lineup in this one. Both of them are injured. Uh, With very specific injuries. Yes, upper, upper and lower and body lower. injuries. Oh, <laughs> to show all your cards right there, Ducks. Gosh, you gotta you gotta save that information because they might be going to the playoffs and uh, players might be targeting those upper and lower bodies. These guys might be trade pieces. You don't want to give away too <laughs> yeah, much about right. these injuries. Yeah, heaven, heaven forbid. Uh, stubbed his toe. Should just lower be body. injuries. No, no lower upper body. Why? He's just Why? he's just hurt. Uh, he's hurt. Yeah, yeah. He's sad today. <laughs> An indescript hurt. Uh, but yeah, they both missed the lineup today. Josh Mahura draws in for Josh Manchin, essentially. He ends up playing with, uh, I think it was Kevin Shattenkirk, which was a bit of a new look. Something we haven't uh, seen too often this year. And then Vinny Letary comes in for the injured Troy Terry, and Danton Heinen finds himself scratched again, which is is still amazing to me. Which you know, I get that apparently he's on the trade block and they're trying to move him. So I get you probably don't want the guy to get hurt or whatever if that's the case there. But other than that, there is absolutely no reason that Vinny Letary should be getting in this lineup over over a guy like Danton Heinen, especially when he was a, a I don't want to say a big trade piece. But a guy you brought in for an, an asset in Nick Ritchie, who you look at what he's doing in Boston, he's doing a lot more than Denton Heinen is doing right now because he's not being given really the opportunity to show up. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's got to be kind of the the only reason because if you're trying to win every game, you're you're you probably put him in that position. And if you're not trying to win and you're trying to maybe move assets around or prospects around, then you hold them back out because I don't think Heinen's played anything short of what you maybe expected, if not maybe a little bit better than what you expected. So why he's sitting on the sidelines and uh, you're giving a, a shot to somebody who hasn't played all season, I don't know. But we're not Bob Murray, I guess. We're stupid. <laughs> Oh, I could go with anybody other than Bob Murray at this point, but uh, he's apparently working the phones pretty diligently because we got some more news today uh, in the form of the TSN trade bait board where Ricard Raquel debuted at number three on that list. And uh, I guess the article really kind of focused on Ricard Raquel's addition to that list because of the week that he's had or or the, the six game stretch heading into tonight that he's had where he had five goals and seven assists for 12 points over that span led all NHL players in scoring over the last six games by a decent margin. He had 12 points. I think the next closest was Mark stone with 10 points. So, you know, this is the Ricard Raquel, I guess you expect obviously tonight ends up going pointless and and (laughs) kind of throws a wrench in in some of our discussions there, but no good for good reason. The focus was on Ricard Raquel for that article. And it basically stated that, Bob Murray uh, is picking up the phone. He's listening to offers on Ricard Raquel. But as the article states, two GMs uh, stated that the price on Ricard Raquel right now is very high. 
And and as vague as that, it's just very high, which is understandable. I mean, the guy is on the hottest of hot streaks right now. And uh, if you were to trade him at this point in time, you would expect his value to be higher than it was, you know, six or seven games ago. Yeah, and you uh, take into account he's not a rental player. He's still got another year on that really nice contract. And the fact that um, what, I, what I've liked about Raquel's game lately, and I, I think it happened, you know, a few games after he kind of came to the realization that it was like, listen, I've, I've been too too wound up and trying to, I've got to produce, I've got to do this. I, you know, if I'm not doing this, then something's wrong and I gotta, I gotta just overthink it. And I think he, there was a point there, you know, early on in the season after 10 or so games where I think he finally said, he was just like, I just kind of stopped worrying about scoring goals and I just went back to having fun. And when he started doing that and shortly thereafter, he started getting the chances. They didn't necessarily go in right away, but all of a sudden it, Finally, it was something we were all kind of waiting for as we just see he's getting those chances. He's having fun doing it. And that's kind of where he's he's in his zone. And so he's been pretty much hitting that streak, you know, that stride, I guess, for the last few few games today being, you know, the clunker. But um, other than that, if you can find that dude in a good spot to produce the way he has been, even given, you know, put it on another team, he could probably fit in very well and be very appetizing for teams that maybe want that guy who can score is not just a rental player and on a very friendly contract come next season. So he's got it's a lot almost, of value there. Yeah, it's almost like the perfect storm right now to to have almost max value for a player like Ricard Raquel, where, you know, a couple shows ago, I mentioned a, a few guys who could be available at the deadline, guys like Taylor Hall, who you know, name value wise and, and history wise are better players than Ricard Raquel are. But I would argue come deadline time, if you're, if you're looking at forwards who could command the most value or who provide the most value to a team, Ricard Raquel has got to be close to the top of that list. And I think even above a guy like Taylor Hall, because the only way for a team to really be interested in a player like Hall at the deadline, uh, Buffalo is going to have to retain 50% of that $8 million contract to make it even stomachable for, for most teams. And even on t- top of that, he's a rental. Right? With Ricard Raquel, he's now producing at the rate you expect of him. Obviously, he's he's been a streaky player in the past, but right now he's on close to a 60-point pace across an 82-game season. He's running hot right now. He fits into most teams' top six, if not their top nine. And the big thing, like you'd mentioned, is, is that contract and that extra year. You know, most teams can fit that 3.7 that he makes into their books right now. And if you're the Ducks and you retain, you know, 25, even 50% of that, immediately the value skyrockets. I mean, imagine Ricard Raquel, 50% retained for a competitive team and the value on that. And, and if you're the Ducks, 50% retained on Ricard Raquel's deal is just, a, just over $1.8 million for the next two years. If that increases what you get in return, you do that. And, and you know, imagine the value in a player like Ricardo Raquel to a competitive team when he's only making, you know, one point seven or two million, or you know, or one point nine million dollars over the next couple of years. You know, he, he the the value from there skyrockets. So I, I think you know, at the deadline, as much as I'd love this guy to stick around and and be a part of the Ducks when they're a good team, because I think he would be a valuable player you kind of have to move him. Like the stars are aligning 
with everything going on right now that that you're not really ever going to get much more than you're going to get for him right now and this is the best time if any to move him yeah and and the words from uh, bob murray himself is uh, he expected us to be in a completely different spot than we actually are and he's disappointed in where they are and so i mean he's he's at least got a few guys under decent contracts or kel being one of them um that you know, there's such a high value. So when GM say, oh, he wants a lot, it's like, well, this is his major trading piece. I mean, he's he's got a guy that's probably not going to help this team necessarily. Like, like he could help a team right now if the team was good right now. But the team's not good, and they're not going to be good for a little bit. And in a little bit, is Raquel still going to be that guy? And then after next season, he's going to need a new contract. Uh, and probably, definitely, I would say definitely upgraded over what he has right now because he has such a, a low base on this one. So you almost got to move it while you can. And quite honestly, in this year, it's it's hard with a cap not really increasing or anything like that. They're lo- They're looking more for monetary value and who they get so the ducks yeah i'm saying other teams would are looking for monetary value in the trade they get so that even makes raquel even more of an asset for somebody to try and go out and get maybe give up you know young prospects and uh even draft picks so that that kind of puts the ducks in a good spot moving forward if they want to move raquel i don't want to see him move but it yeah. is, I mean, it is what it is. We're, we are where we are. The, tonight was another prime example where uh, two, two, two wins forward, barely, and then a giant fall backwards. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think anybody wants to move him because you know immediately when he moves on to another team, you're you're gonna miss, you know, what he brings to the lineup on a nightly basis, which is being one of the only reliable goal scorers or, or point producers that the Ducks have right now. You know, Outside of him and Comtois, there's not much really going on with this team. And Comtois is going nowhere, but Ricard Raquel is at the kind of the top of that trade list where if he goes, you're likely not getting a roster forward in return. And, and you probably don't want, you know, a hockey trade if you're trading Ricard Raquel, right? Like, you don't want to kind of make that move uh, to bring in a roster player and and have a Nick Ritchie, Danton Heinen type situation. Uh, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Ducks to, to really go out and explore that route. And when you look at you know, the price being high right now, you'd have to imagine that it, it does revolve around picks. And, and it probably starts around what the Ducks got for uh, Nick Ritchie, or not Nick Ritchie, Andre Kasha, or what Tyler Toffoli went for when the Kings traded him. Or what Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman went for, which is a first-round pick and at least a B level, a B plus level prospect. I think that's the minimum. And when you're looking at GMs around the league saying that the price is high, you would then have to think it's at least a first-round pick and a high-level prospect, if not more, right now. And I think he could command that. I think of all the things we said here, you know, his his term, the amount of money he has left. You know, the, the production increased right now. His past production being a back-to-back 30-goal score, I think he has a lot of things going for him for the Ducks to be able to sit there and command whatever price they want. And, and I think eventually they'll find a desperate enough team with a deep enough prospect pool who will bite the bullet and, and make that deal. You know, for a lot of these teams, a first-round pick means nothing if you're trying to compete for a Stanley Cup. If you have a deep enough prospect pool, giving up one of your top three or four prospects 
doesn't hurt you that much in the long run. And then whatever else is included in the deal, you know, whether it's to bounce salary or whatever, it's something that you would be willing to move. So I think eventually there would be a team who's interested. It's just finding, finding that one team, nailing down the assets and getting a deal done. So, uh, you know, I I don't know if it's going to happen. I I think if anybody's going to be moved, Raquel's probably the most likely just because the amount of teams who'd be interested in them. But it's going to take a lot of work to get this deal done. Yeah. And then, once again, any any team that you know might be a little hesitant on uh, giving up prospects or draft picks can always kind of fall back on on the fact that it's not just for this year. It's like, yeah, hey, we have a prospect, and you know he might be helping us in three years, but this guy can help us for this year and possibly next year. So I, I, that's yeah, that's where I think uh, Raquel can command a little bit more than say your Taylor Halls. Um, and, and whoever else might, you know, be out there at that, that trade deadline, but we'll see because Bob Murray is not going to give him up for, for nothing. I mean, at this point he's kind of selfish, whatever reputation he might have left just to go, all right, I'm not going to fleece this last time, um, with Raquel. So he, he's probably, you know, Hey, you want him? I got to have to have a home run to, to talk about. So. Yeah, and Debrie Lowry brings up in the chat. I know you had mentioned, like a lot of people said, don't really want to see Ricard Raquel go anywhere. But if he did leave, where where would you be okay seeing him go? You know, out of division, out east, you know, a specific team. Where where are you fine with the Ducks trading Ricard Raquel if they had to? I don't care. Wherever <laughs> where, wherever he goes, I, I wish him nothing but luck. Um, you know, obviously not against the Ducks, so you know, out east would be great. Um, you know, versus in division. Um, but I mean, everything's so crazy now with the divisions. After next year, if he goes to like a Colorado or Colorado thinks they can, he can really kind of capitalize on. You probably don't see too much of them. Um, that being said. Uh, you know, no one wants to see him go. And I think that's kind of a, you know, attesting to how good he, he is or how nice he is and a fan favorite. And so it's like, if he goes somewhere else, I do nothing but wish him well. So I don't care where he goes. I, I hope he has a great career. If he's not with the ducks, I wish it was with the ducks or continues to be with the ducks. Uh, but it, it doesn't really matter to me if he goes somewhere and success, you know, has success, really on any team just not the kings yeah. san jose and, and as long as as long as that success is not <laughs> vegas back to hurt the ducks yeah. in the long run right like just if out of I division doubt, yeah I, I doubt i mean you know you have to think too you know any trades technically in division this year might not be in division next year right if he gets traded to colorado this year Same it's in division way. just for this year next year when the divisions go back to normal which we hope uh, the Ducks won't have to face him as much as they would this year. So th- there are those kind of concerns you have to have to take into play there. And one of the teams that Frank Cervelli mentioned when he was reporting this as well that were interested in, in trying to take a run at Ricard Raquel was the Flames. Uh, they actually tried before their coaching uh, change, but was the price was too high for them. Which, I mean, I don't know what the asking price would have been yeah. from Calgary. You know, you look at some of the young players in Dylan Dubé and Yusuf Alamaki and some of the prospects they have. You know, the, the Flames aren't really in a position to to make that trade, I don't think. And, and you would think, you know, a first-round pick and one of those guys plus on top of that to, to bring in Ricard Raquel. And, you know, they might have been paying a premium as well 
because they're in division, you know, not this year, but for the long run. So for next year, they're in division with the Ducks and playing in the Pacific Division. So, you, you know, you could almost think there could have been a premium on that deal to get that done as well. But, you know, that's arguably two or three general managers now who are saying the price is, is too high for Ricard Raquel. So, you know, credit to to Bob Murray that he's at least sticking to his guns, right, for the time being. You know, we yeah. could see that change, you know, in tomorrow or in a week and, and the Ducks end up taking what they can get for him. But at least for the time being, he's taking the calls. He's not hanging up on people. He's sticking to a price. Uh, and, and for a lot of teams, that's too high right now. But like we said before, all it takes is one team is willing to pay that price. And yeah. if you stick to it, eventually you're going to you're going to handcuff somebody into doing it. And whether that comes on deadline day when all the big guns have gone and Taylor Hall's moved on and a lot of other guys have gone and the last option you have or the last good option you have is Ricard Raquel. That only drives his price up no matter how he's playing. So, you know, we'll we'll see what the deal ends up being. But uh, I, I give I give Bob Murray a bit of credit here for at least sticking to his guns. But what other option does he have? I'm not going to give him a ton yeah, of credit. I'm not giving him a ton of credit. I'm not going to give him a ton of credit. He's just he's like he's he's got his thumb up here and he's just going to kind of keep pushing. And then and then once once GMs go like, all right, I got I got to make a move. Okay, all right, we'll we'll find whatever. We'll just we'll do what you say, and and then that's what it is. So everyone says, oh, it's outrageous. It's really high right now. And then they go like, oh, you know, I got to go to my fans. I got to go to my owner and go like, why didn't we make a move? This guy is, you know, is, he's got value. He could help the team. And especially right now, an odd season, maybe we can make a run at it, see what happens, you know, maybe get a championship that doesn't ever leave. So even if there's an asterisk on it, so yeah, he's, he's under no pressure. He's, he's pretty much done after this year. So he's, he's holding on to what he's got and just, wait for the right thing to at least set us up at least not selling us down the river so that's good yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I mean when you look back at the deals now and you look at the the two i guess big deals he's made each year over the last two years it's the andre Casha deal and the brandon montour trade and you know it's too early to say if they panned out or not but andre Casha, uh his deal ended up being a first round pick and axel anderson so we're still waiting of course to see what kind of comes out of those uh, as well and then in the Brandon Montour deal it was Brandon Gooley and a first round pick which turned into uh, Braden Tracy and Gooley right now is kind of dwindling away in the AHL uh, struggling to get back from injury so we really haven't seen Tracy hasn't done anything right I don't think yeah. he has any points Tracy had zero points in 12 games with the goals before he just the other day he got sent back down to Victoria and the WHL for the beginning of their season so you know, probably one of those guys that is, was just too early for him to make the step to professional hockey a little bit different from what we've seen from Zegers and Drysdale. But, you know, when you look at return on investment for those trades and, and what you have, you have Gooley and Tracy. And not like Brandon Montour has lit it up in Buffalo, but yeah. you're not seeing any immediate or close to immediate impact on the Ducks lineup from either of those. And the same goes for the Andre Kasha trade with the first-round pick you got from that and uh, Axel Anderson, who's playing in Sweden right now. So if you're if you're Bob Murray right now and if you're Ducks fans, you're hoping that whatever return you get for a player like Ricard Raquel this year, you can at least see that impact hopefully a little bit sooner. You know, obviously the first-round pick is going to take some time to get there, but if you can get a top prospect in return in this trade, a, you know, a bona fide top prospect that's near the top of their system, a guy that you, you have a little bit more faith in than, say, a Brendan Gooley, or an Axel Anderson to to actually be a you know a competent 
NHL player who can contribute on a nightly basis in your lineup. That's what you're hoping for if you're a Ducks fan right now, whether it's Toronto or Carolina or Philadelphia or, or you know, whoever that ends up being the trade partner. That That's the hope, I think, that you would want to return as a player like that. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Kasha is, my opinion, a pretty easy trade to make. I mean, that guy's been so so injury prone, and I was always worried about. Oh, even though he, he shows signs of being good, he's just he's got the concussion issues, and I think he's out right now with the concussion or something. Uh, I don't th- I don't think he's playing with Boston. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do do whatever you can and get what you can from Raquel, because uh, you know, I mean, at this this point, the Ducks obviously have shown that they're not really in contention this year and uh it doesn't look like it's going to be anytime soon you know maybe two seasons from now hopefully who knows i i think fans have been have been split on the idea uh and i'll get your thoughts on this as well as you know there is some merit i think to keeping ricard raquel he's not old he's only 27 uh you know the ducks rebuild is is nowhere near close to being done but, you know, to think he'll be 30, 31, maybe 32 when the Ducks are hopefully getting back to being competitive and back in the playoffs again. Like at the very latest, you know, you would hope this rebuild is four to five years at the longest, two to three years on the short side. Ricardo Raquel should feasibly still be a, a decent and, you know, in, in the middle of his prime or to the, to the end of his prime where he's still producing at, the, at this level, right? Mm-hmm. Is it in your opinion, better to keep him around for when the Ducks get to that point or to trade him right now when his value is as high as it can to maybe push this rebuild a little bit further along? It's a loaded question. Um, it's tough, but it, it's it's ever, what everybody's talking about right now is, you know, do you trade him for assets now or do you keep him because he'll be a valuable and veteran piece to a young lineup in the future? Here's what I would do under normal circumstances, and I'll clarify what I mean by normal circumstances. I would, unless the return was a haul, and I mean you're not Taylor Hall, but I haul H A U L. If you're getting a whole bunch back for him, uh, then I would say under normal circumstances, all right, well you gotta you gotta take it, even though he's on a good contract. Um, you know, he's, he struggled a couple of years. He's showing a little bit more signs of freeing up and kind of learning how to play in this NHL, or I think he struggled the last couple of years trying to figure that out. The problem is, is that we're going to go through an expansion draft. We're going to go through a brand new GM. We're going to possibly lose our coach at that point when, when everything kind of just, we're, we're starting a new slate up and over it, that creates a lot of uncertainty for me. And if there's a lot of uncertainty next year or the following year, this guy's only under contract for the rest of this year, next year, and then he's going to need a new contract. And it's going to be more than what he's making now. He was on a team-friendly contract moving forward. So that's where I start getting into this problem where, like, well, as much as I'd love to keep him and I I know what he could do, we're not under normal circumstances. We're going to go through big changes here in the next season or two just for all the reasons I laid out. And at that point, with all that uncertainty, you're really banking on the fact that this team is going to be competitive next year or the following year. And at what price point are you willing to put Raquel? Are you how much are you willing to pay him or how much you think he's going to ask? Or do you trade him now, get those assets, let let the dust settle for a year or two and see where we're at two years from now 
and we didn't lose him for nothing to free agency or whatever, because I'd have a hard time thinking he'd want to try and re-sign with the Ducks after everything the Ducks have been doing. Yeah. <laughs> just it just it, it'd be rough, I would think, on his side to want to re-sign with us. And you'd either have to have supreme confidence that that was going to happen, and you'd also have to be the same GM. I, I just it makes more sense for me at this point to trade him, get assets and prospects, let this dust settle next year, and then figure out where we are a year and a half from now. I think that's the the one big thing to take into account here is is I think a lot of people are just assuming that if we keep Ricard Raquel, that he would automatically re-sign with us as an unrestricted free agent at the end of his contract. There's We're not a destination point anymore right now. Yeah, I mean, yes, he's been a duck for his entire career, but you know what at any point has indicated to us that he wants to be that type of player, that he wants to be a one-team player. Uh, you know, I, I have no, and this is nothing against Ricardo Raquel, not to say he's unloyal or whatever. I just have no confidence that he wants to be that guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a lot of guys would not want to come back to this situation if in at the end of next season it hasn't changed, which I highly doubt it will. You know, hopefully there's some progress there and we're seeing a slight bit of progress this year, but it's definitely a lot slower than I think management thought it would be. It's a lot slower than I think a, a lot of the fan base thought it would be. You know, if you're, it's a very hard sell to Ricard Raquel to bring him back. And I think the only way you're the Ducks, if you're still in a position like this next year, to bring him back is to overpay him. And to be the, the the team that pays him the most and maybe gives him that extra year, and then you're right in the same boat you are with Henrik and Silverberg right now with the, how unmovable their contracts are because of the term and value that are put on them right now, and that's the risky run I think of keeping him. I know a lot of people in the chat said, you know, you should only move him if a team overpays for him or pays what you're looking for. I don't necessarily think the Ducks have the luxury to do that with a lot of these guys because. Ricardo Raquel's value is never going to be higher than it is now this season because he's got that extra year of a, a pretty sweet deal where you get him for this year as essentially a rental in terms of you only get him for about you know 15 to 20 games plus playoffs this year and then you get a full season of him next year and first crack to sign him as a, as an unrestricted free agent there's a lot of value in that and I, I just I, I I don't see the benefit long term for the Ducks keeping him and trying to convince him to stay around to stick around and, and be here with this team. Uh, you you need the assets more I think than 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 the risk involved with that. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what I'm saying. And then like I said, you know, you, we're not going to get a Getzloff. I mean, Getzloff and the loyalty of Getzloff just wanting to be with one team. That that's a very rare. Um, Oh, what's, a, what's the word? Um, like rare, <laughs> not commodity, but rare um, personality. No, that's not it. What is it? Rare trait, I guess. I don't know. Someone yeah. that wants to actually stick with one team. That doesn't happen very often. Getzloff might be one of those exceptions to it. Um, and then, you know, and you're not going to maybe put him in as a grant where it's like, oh, we get him. Yeah, he's got value. We trade him. We get him back. That doesn't happen very often either. So, like, for my yeah my my perspective of it is just I don't think unless this team is is on the cusp of contending and then all of a sudden he has a little bit of pride that he helped bring this team to that point 
that would be the only way I could see it. Maybe try to stick around at a normal price, or like you said, overpaid to stick around. And uh, and, and I don't think it's going to be Bob Murray's choice at that point. At that point, I don't think he's yeah. a GM anymore. So, you know, he, just, he's smart. He just gets rid of him and you know gets what he can for him when he can. Yeah, and I think the difference with players like Getzlaff and Perry is they were the cornerstones of this franchise. Those are the guys that usually stick around for the long haul, and and they you know, become captains like Ryan Getzlaff and and have more reasons to stick around longer in their career. And Getzlaff has won everything he could win at this time. But you know, off the top of my head, I can't really think of many Ricard Raquel type players. You know, middle six to top six forwards who stick around when the going gets tough, and that's nothing against Ricard Raquel. You know, I, I saw Operation mentioned in the, in the chat about different times that he's shown his loyalty, and, and I think he's loyal and, and wants to be an Anaheim Duck. But at the end of the day, if this team isn't good, he's going to be 29 when he goes – or 29 the summer of re-signing that contract, becoming an unrestricted free agent. This is presumably his last deal if he signs a four- or five-year contract, which is what I think he'll be aiming for, to a contract that takes him into 33, 34, 35, right? Yeah, at that point, why yeah. come back to Anaheim if there's no signs of being good? You know, you want if a team's going to offer you that, and you can get three or four good years at trying to win a Stanley Cup. I think he's going to take that, especially because he hasn't done it. As much as he loves the Ducks and loves living in Anaheim and loves the fans or whatever, the at the Swedish end of the day, connection, dude. It's he's, there's so <laughs> many Swedes there. He's got to stick around. Sweet at the end man. of the day, it's about winning, though, right? Yeah. And it, it, and unfortunately, it, it's like that for all these guys, and. Eventually, all these guys move on, and it's the older guys and the captains or whatever that stick around. But yeah. Ricard Raquel, I think, and again, it's nothing against him. It just seems like a situation that if nothing is trending in the right direction here, the Ducks don't stand really a chance of re-signing him in free agency unless they overpay or give him an extra year or both. And they've shown to do that in the past, and I'm not sure I want another five-year, $5.5 million contract on the books for a guy that's going to be 33 or 34 near the end of that deal. We've already got two of those. Yeah, and I think he's been loyal enough in the fact that he signed the contract that he did at the time he did. Um, and, you know, he at, at some point he's, he should be getting paid for what he, he could do, what he has done. Uh, I know Pat will argue on this one. You get paid for uh, what you should, you know, what you have done or should uh, should do. Uh, but I mean, the dude's being paid under four million dollars, and we're getting him through what is now considered an NHL prime. Uh, he's shown real recently that he can, he has that spark, and if on a good team, he can probably produce. So he's not going to sell himself short you know, on that next last contract that he's going to have. So the loyalty may go out the window if it doesn't really, and I wouldn't even call it loyalty. I would just say, it's yeah. like, listen, we, we, we had our shot. We, you know, I, I signed low. I wanted to kind of, you know, be a part of this and see, see what we can do. I've, you've gotten way more value out of me or, you know, way more, you know, at least more value out of me than you're paying me for. And that was to hopefully create a contending team for a Stanley Cup. But you guys aren't there. You guys aren't going to pay me. And I'm not just going to go like, well, I really hope hope this team does well. I'm going to take another small contract and see if I win a Stanley Cup. I mean, no one goes into their NHL career 
hoping that they're going to be so loyal to a team that's not going to win a Stanley Cup that they'll, they'll take less money for what yeah. they can produce. So he's going to make nobody a, wants a to, <laughs> Nobody wants to struggle through mediocrity forever. Yeah. If you never won at all. Majority of your career, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think this is a question of loyalty with Ricard Raquel because I, I think if the Ducks were good, he would be so happy to stick around, right? And, and he has stuck around through the good, and he's been here through the bad so far. But it's just a crucial time in his career that he becomes an unrestricted free agent at 28, 29 years old, where you're right there. You know, you're, you likely don't want to sign a three-year deal to take you to your early 30s. You're, you're looking probably for a four- or five-year deal is what he'll likely get at that point to push you into 34, 35. And then maybe after that, you sign a couple smaller deals to finish out your career. But this is the last big contract of Ricard Raquel's career. If the Ducks are still in the position they are, why would he want to return? For him, as a person and as a player, I would not want him to come back because it's not the best situation for him. You talked about before, where would you want him to go? Somewhere that he can succeed and do well. And if if that means the Ducks get assets for him before that point, he goes off and does well somewhere else, great. Yeah, Operation made a point in the chat here. You, know, you, you can really never have not have bad contracts on your roster that doesn't mean to go out and just sign a bad contract because you can never we, not have bad contracts we, we already got have plenty, plenty. We have plenty. Yeah. <laughs> ryan kessler's deal is coming off in a bit it's been on ltir forever so Gets people forget Lop about it but that's year. a bad contract yeah gets comes off but you still have henrik's contract which is a bad contract you sell yeah. silverberg's contract which is pretty close to being a bad contract and you've got cam fowler's contract which i can argue is again, pretty close to being a bad contract in terms of term and, and, and the, the value that he gets out of it. You know, is he a $6 million defender? I don't know. I don't think it's the worst contract ever, but I think for all three of those, you can at least make the argument that they aren't great contracts. And and you've already got three of them for the, the long, a long period of time here. The longer, the longest three contracts you have are those three guys. Why add Ricard Raquel to that mix on a, you know, a 5 million plus contract for four or five years when he's 29. That That's the thing. Here's the best way to think about it that I can surmise is everyone likes Ricard Raquel. He's a very likable person. He can produce, um, you know, for the team, help the team out. But if you love something, let it be free. Just just let it go. It's, let it be beautiful somewhere else. Obviously, we cannot, as a franchise, make him as great as he can be. So why hold him back? Just love him and let him go. If it's meant to be, he'll come flying back. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> and uh, just to wrap this up, I mentioned a few places that I think would be interesting fits for him. Obviously, Toronto is, is one because just of how much he'd fit into that top six over there. Uh, Carolina's another deep prospect pool, a team that could use another offensive weapon, a young team that would be able to kind of fit under the cap for the next two years. And and then Colorado and Philadelphia were a couple others I threw in there. And the, the, the thing with all three of these teams is I think they have some high-level prospects they'd be willing to give up to get better this year and compete this year. Because I think all four of them have a shot at winning a Stanley Cup. I think, you know, Toronto's one of the best teams in the league. I think Carolina surprised a lot of people being up there in, in the top five in the NHL this year. Colorado, obviously, with the weapons that they have, as long as they can keep Nathan McKinnon and kill McCarr healthy. You know, they've been without both of them for a while here. 
and they just got McKinnon back tonight in their overtime win. So he, Ricard Raquel would fit there too. And then the last one, and probably the most interesting fit for me, is the Philadelphia Flyers because I think you know sending Ricard Raquel east is probably the best option for the Ducks in terms of not having to face him that much. And he fits nicely into that Philadelphia lineup. And the player you're getting in return, I always love these little stories here, but Cam York is the Philadelphia Flyers' top prospect, and he's an Anaheim Hills native. So it's written written in the stars and destiny, their former junior duck, Cam York, uh, coming back to, to the Ducks organization. I, I don't know what Ricardo Raquel is going to fetch. Those are a few ideas I had there. But you, 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 I think if you're a Ducks fan or if you're Bob Murray at this point, that's the type of return you're hoping for is a top prospect and, and, and some picks in return. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, that's what you should be looking for. And you're not going to really look for a roster player that's going to make anything happen on this current current team. And like I said, yeah, if I mean... At this point, it's you know it's it's who's willing to pay what, who's willing to give up what. But it, it seems definitely like it's going to be a prospect, a draft pick, something in that order. And uh, yeah, it's somewhat befitting for the Ducks and the current management to make a deal that brings in a local boy, um, you know, your <laughs> Chase DeLeo, your whoever is. Yeah. Uh, that can come in and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's there's a story behind it. And if there's a story behind it, people will rally around that, especially around here. So just saying Nick Robinson and Cam York are both California natives. So it, it's, <laughs> it only makes sense. It's in the stars, man. But as as we know, Bob Murray will probably make a <laughs> hockey deal and uh, we'll all be fairly disappointed. And, and that will <laughs> be the then direction. We'll, then we'll say bye and then it'll be on the next whoever. But we, we bounce from one trade rumor to another because this is one that Stephen and I discussed on the show where the audio got corrupted. Oh, the, this, the lost episode. The lost episode. But I think this discussion is perfect for you because it involves goaltenders and specifically John Gibson. Uh, it was a, a tweet in an article from last week that had mentioned that the Sabres had inquired about the availability of John Gibson in the offseason and earlier this year and that they were told by the Ducks that they have no interest in moving him at this time. And and that sparked, of course, a bunch of trade speculation. Obviously, the Sabres are looking to move Jack Eichel. Uh, they're also looking to make trades to keep Jack Eichel there and trying to bring in assets that make this team better. Uh, and I think if you're the Ducks, you know, one of the first places you should be looking to if you're looking to move John Gibson probably would be the Buffalo Sabres just because of the plethora of options you have, the fact you move him completely out of conference and really don't have to face him that much. Um, no, I don't think we're at the point where we're trading John Gibson, but if, you know, it's been coming up a decent amount this year for good reason. And, and I think if, if you were looking to move him somewhere, uh, Buffalo is, is not the worst place you could move him. Maybe for him it is, but at least if you're, if you're looking at potential return, it, it, it's a, it's a pretty decent option for the Ducks. Once again, you're giving up, you're giving up an A-class goaltender on a team friendly contract. And it's like, you, you better, because, where 
we're a little little um what's the what's the word i'm looking for or we're a little spoiled in the fact that we've got a John Gibson. And prior to that, we had, a, you know, you know, Freddie was there for a little bit. We've had Jaguar for a while. The Ducks have, have usually had amazing goaltending. And and I feel like they go like, well, if he's not in and we trade Gibson and we get something, we'll just have somebody else come in and do amazing. Ryan Miller is not going to be here next year. I mean, in my opinion, he's, he's, this is his one and done. And uh, he was hoping maybe there was a chance that they could get there. But he's just kind of one and done. Um, Dostal is, you know, although started good, is kind of faltered a little lately. Um, so he's not exactly just ready to fall in line. So there is no starting goaltender. So whoever you give up, you are literally doing the ducks, in my opinion, to mediocrity for at least the next couple of years until Dostal gets his his uh, you know feet wet in in the NHL or the North American style. He's only played for a couple of months here in the NHL st- or the uh, North American style of hockey. So to try and trade Gibson and think that you're going to get this great return, you are giving up the only strong suit I feel like we've had over the last couple of seasons where offense has sputtered, defense has been spotty at best, goaltending has at least been the the highlight, if not the best part of our team. And to just get rid of that and then the backup's gone and now you're just relying on AHL and European players coming in to try and be the best goalie on our team, you're just setting yourself up for three or four years of just hard, hard news. <laughs> so it doesn't think- make a lot of sense to me to, to move Gibson at this point. I, I get that, you know, hey, we're wasting the best years. It's like move on to someone else you know buffalo is not going to really make him any better of a goalie it's not going to make us any better of a team in the near future and we'll we'll see where everything shakes out four years from now but you're basically dooming both teams (laughs) at that point yeah i I think honestly the only thing keeping the ducks from being and they're pretty close already but from being a ottawa senators or detroit red wings right now is john gibson uh, that's the only difference I see really between these two teams, right? Is it's a lot of young players on both teams. There's a lot of kind of aging veterans who aren't producing. There's some pretty good players, you know, when you look at Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha on Detroit and, you know, Drake Batherson and obviously they just brought in Tim Stutzel on Ottawa. There's some decent players sprinkled throughout the lineup, but both those teams have crap goaltending. Now, Matt Murray got shelled for seven by the Oilers tonight and a couple nights ago got shelled by, by five and got taken out in the first period by, I think it was the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, you go over and you look at Detroit, and it's, it's you know, Bernier, who's still there. And he's yeah. their starting netminder because Jimmy Howard has moved on now. It, it, and, it you know, that's the Tom one retired, thing. retired, I, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the one thing keeping the Ducks from being that right now is John Gibson. So if you move John Gibson to anywhere, even Buffalo or whatever, you are now resigning yourself to basically be that team for the next couple of years. Um, until you can and bring in some assets. And, and I think the, the, the one important point you brought up there is how privileged we've been as an organization to continually go through starting netminder after starting netminder after starting netminder. We've never really been in a period where a lot of teams have been and where the one piece they are away from being a good team is a goaltender, right? And, and you know, we've always really had a, a strong goaltender when it was from Brzezgalov to 
Oh, right. Oh, jeez, Bruce Gallup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's Hiller. Yeah, yeah there's... Jaguar uh, to Hiller Gare. to Freddie to Gibson. And, you know, the, the list goes on, right? But you, you, you've you had some some pretty good years over the last little bit here where we've had a, a, a goaltender, at least a capable NHL goaltender, if not a, a top quality starting goaltender. And, and usually we're fighting over two guys. And even, you know, to this, mm-hmm. this point, I think Miller is a capable starting goalie. I wouldn't put him at, you know, Gibson's level. Uh, and I don't think he could sustain it, um, you know, playing top minutes, you know, being the number one goalie. But he's he's not – I really think he's an option next year. And if he's gone and you've traded off Gibson – there's not a lot in the pipeline at this point. So either you go have to overpay probably in the offseason for a goalie. And like, what was it, two last year or two years ago? It was the goalie. Everyone was just like, all right, whatever goalie we can grab and pay, we we do. And these guys are already gone. So, I mean, it's rough. You can find a you know, diamond in the rough. But, I mean, at this point, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and you can say, oh, Gibson, you know, he looks like he doesn't care anymore. It's like, look at that, look at the team in front of him. I, yeah, I'd we're, be we're, fucking frustrated too. I don't want to yeah. play. He he gets the brunt of, of this every game. You know yeah. that he's in there. He, the Ducks get shelled for four or five goals, and really not many of them are his fault. But he gets he gets the most impacted by it. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at the stat line at the end of the night. He's not happy looking at that, guaranteed, right? It's just not. You don't fun. see the lead up and the actual things that happen. You're like, oh, uh, you yeah. know, because if you look at the stats, it's like, oh, that, you know, you know, it was, um, you know, it was a shot from an extreme angle. It was shot and was, you know, hit off uh, hockey. But hockey but shoots it in off the post and in or just inside. And you look at it and you go like, wow, all right, why didn't Gibby stop that? And it's just. It's people who don't understand that the lead up to the goal and the goals that go in and Gibby's not a bad goalie. Sometimes he gets really stuck with with how the way the Ducks are playing. And, you know, it's like you count your blessings. You, you got that goalie in net that just, you know, hasn't completely sold it. You know, just just I'm out. It's like all right, whatever's yeah. going to happen is going to happen. And I can't wait till this contract's over and I'm moving on. You know? I, I think the only way you could entertain trading Gibson, I think there's only two two ways that uh, two scenarios that it could happen. Um, John Gibson asked for a trade, and, and you you feel like you have to move him. I guess it'd be three. So he asked for a trade. You just get an unbelievable offer. You just can't refuse. Just a ridiculous offer, whatever that may be. And it's hard to really judge how much a player like John Gibson is worth because you don't really see starting netminders of the quality of John Gibson get moved too often. Right. They don't get traded. They, yeah. they sign. Like yeah. you, you, you see what they do, and they go, "Okay, that guy could help our team." But you don't go like, "Well, what's he doing right no. now?" And do 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 we do we trade? I mean, because you would trade in season, and if you trade mostly in season, you're hoping that he's going to be your ace. So unless there's a major injury to somebody, that's about the only time I could see it overpayment. Well, but usually, Freddie, that's a desperate team. Freddie got traded, but he was a. UFA right coming up and he got a first yeah. and a second round pick for for him and obviously the price for John Gibson I think would be you know astronomically higher than that uh based on you know just the play that you know he's sustained over the last couple of years and and obviously the numbers aren't great but I think you know if you ask anybody around the league John Gibson is a top netminder in this league and you put him in a good team and he's going to do good things um the last one there is, is I don't think you you necessarily have to be worried about um, 
you know, not having a netminder for this year or next year. I think in any trade, like even if it was Buffalo, you would assume Carter Hutton or Linus Allmark is coming back in that deal. Probably Carter Hutton to just offset some of the salary because Hutton makes about 2.5 for the rest of this year. So I don't think you you worry so much about not having a NHL quality netminder this year. It's it's about having that apparent successor right behind him. And I don't think we're at a point where we can say Lucas Dostal is anywhere close to being ready to be that. He had a great six-game start in the AHL where he was just unstoppable. The last five games for Lucas Dostal, not been great. And it's been a tough adjustment for him. So, of course, there was a ton of hype for him at the beginning. I think there's still there, you're still you know, uh, able to have that hype around him because I still think he's going to be a great netminder in this league. But you're not at that point you're at when you traded Freddie Anderson where John Gibson and, and Anderson were fighting for the number one job. If Dostal's doing that next year... Or, you know, if you have somebody who comes in and can do that and then you feel comfortable moving John Gibson because you can push this other guy into the, the starting job, uh, you know, as Net, Nete in, in the chat has been mentioning, if the Ducks get another first round pick and, and take uh, the Swedish goaltender Wallstadt in, in the draft this year and you've got Dostal and Wallstadt in the pipeline, maybe then you look at moving John Gibson because you've got the pieces there. But so many things kind of have to go right or, or have to kind of fall into place for you for you know to feel comfortable moving a player like that unless you just get a ridiculous offer from a team which I don't think many teams have kind of the the capability of pulling that off when you look at we're talking about a first round pick and a level prospect for Ricard Raquel imagine what the type of deal would be for a player like John Gibson if you trade John Gibson, you are committing yourself to a rebuild for three to four years. Now, if that is your mindset and you think that's where the team needs to be, that's fine. I just don't think Dostal is two or three seasons out. I also don't think whoever you get as a prospect, as good as a goalie as he might be, give me your Spencer Knights. I just still don't think in two to three years this – team with that that person in net is going to be something that makes the Ducks all of a sudden uh, competitive for losing Gibson. Gibson gives you at least a competitive window for a little bit. The second you get rid of him, you're done. You, you've committed to that complete rebuild. Now, if that's your, if that's your, there's your prerogative and that's where you want to go with it or you think the team should go that way, then fine. But I just don't see management thinking that unless they are getting grossly overpaid and go like, listen – what we're getting is going to make our window in three to four years like a 10-year window or an eight-year window or whatever that window is going to be uh, to be ultra competitive. So I just yeah. – I, I have a real hard time seeing how they just – and especially like like you mentioned that with, with Freddie going, that was a decision by Bob Murray. And he said, listen, we've got two choices. Who are we going to go with? I'm 100% on Gibson. Freddie is a guy I'm trading. No matter what, this is my guy who's going to propel this team. Now, things didn't go, obviously, according to plan, but it'd be really hard for him to go like, well, I got rid of that guy, and well, I'm going to get rid of this guy now, and I really don't have a plan. So once my 10 years over, I've I've left my team with just crap goaltending, even though I had two number ones, you know, two top 10 goalies in the league. So. Yeah. And, and I think the toughest thing, too, is, yeah, you know, a few people brought up in the chat here, you know, rely on Dostal, draft a goaltender and allow yourself to trade John Gibson. I think the hardest prospects to predict in terms of future success are goaltending prospects. They take or how longer. quickly. 
how yeah. quickly it happens too. It, yeah. it takes a while. You just get coming and being a stud. I mean, you even saw Carter Hart where, you know, it was a whole bunch of hype between him and he's, he's floundered a little bit recently. So it just goaltending takes longer because it takes experience. It takes seeing plays happen and the NHL is ever changing and it's extra quick right now, which uh, the goalies are in a, a, a section of time where they have to adapt to what players are doing. It's this back and forth where players get really good. And then the goalies figure out what they need to do or how they need to play to be better. And then all of a sudden the players start figuring out how they need to beat goalies. So we're kind of in that other sway of things. So it's hard to find a good goalie um, nowadays. And, and, you know, so it's, if you got a good one, yeah, hang on to it because they're hard. Yeah. They're going to be hard to find moving forward. Yeah, and like you said, I, I think the trading Gibson and extending the rebuild by four or five years is valid because of that, right? Where you know Lucas Dostal is maybe two or three years away from being, I think, an NHL starting netminder, where Just you can comfortably say that, right? Like a starter. You know, trading John Gibson means now you have to wait the two or three years for this guy to be a starter before you have a starting netminder again. Um, and I also don't think you make draft decisions based on guys you want to move. I wouldn't be a proponent to getting another first round pick, taking a goaltender just because then you're going to move John Gibson. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a smart organizational move by any means, because now you've handcuffed yourself into having to move John Gibson because you've drafted this guy. Uh, and you, you kind of you wrap yourself into a Florida Panthers type situation where they've signed Sergey Bobrovsky for 10 years drafted yeah. Spencer Knight and it, it none of it makes now, sense. Now, uh, yeah, now you can't move Bobrovsky. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't make too much sense in, in in that sense and you know obviously you can't move Bobrovsky and I think you would still always be able to move John Gibson cuz he makes a full 4 million dollars less than Sergey Bobrovsky yep. does, but it, it's just not a way you want to kind of make your decisions I think on the draft or in trades. You know, you don't want a, a player, you know, to, to go into the draft saying we're going to draft this guy cuz we're going to trade this guy. Or we're going to trade this guy because we're going to draft this guy. It's just not the way I think you want to gamble on, on any of those. You know, what are the drafter making trades? And and I, and I think for, for John Gibson's case, I think he's relatively safe. Uh, you know, like I said, unless the Ducks get an unreal offer or he asks for a trade, I think those are really the only two scenarios we see uh, him leaving right now. Obviously, you know, this article mentioned that the Sabres reached out twice on his availability. And the Ducks said, nope, it's not available. So I, you know, as bad as things are getting, that was early in the season when it was bad for the Ducks, and it's still bad. I don't think I don't see how it gets much worse. Where the Ducks are like, yeah, we I guess we got to trade them now. Like it, it really can't get much worse than this, right? So yeah, yeah, and I don't know how how teams would start overpaying for goalies if they've started to look at goalies that have produced versus what they would they do now. It's like you signed your Holpe, you signed your uh, uh, um, Bobrovsky. Uh, it, it's just the the goaltending of old doesn't necessarily work so much and i think gms will be way more hesitant now it seems like just the random younger goalies kind of kick in and no one's got a book on them just look at the, look at the goalie who beat us just tonight is like dude hasn't played in five years uh there's his third third nhl game and he, he only gave up one goal um so i think right now GMs aren't really willing to risk too much on a goalie that even though, you know, as, as Gibson's pedigree is there, uh, but 
yeah, I, I, I would just think GM's a little bit more hesitant to give up too much because they don't exactly know if getting that goalie is going to translate to their team. Goalie, it's weird. Goalies have to be in a certain certain zone to work really well. I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to explain, but if you take a goalie that's been playing really well in one system and then you go, wow, look, he's really, really good. Let's, you know, he's free agent. Let's sign him. He goes in and Lebrowski, all of a sudden things just start going south and it's just, it's different. The defense plays different in front of you and doesn't necessarily play to your strengths. So it's a, a big gamble for, for GMs to want to trade a lot for a goalie if they don't know it's going to work out. It feels weird to be talking about trades in March because yeah. usually, usually by this time, uh, by the end of February, we're done. Yeah, you know, the trade deadline's already passing. Yeah, we're, we're good to go. Yeah, we. <laughs> but we're we're still almost a, a full month away. I think the trade deadline's on April fourteenth this yeah. year, I believe, and uh, we're you know basically a full month away from from that happening. So you know these discussions are only going to ramp up there. La- last thing I want to cover on the show uh, before we wrap things up for today is. Uh, I don't want to say coaching changes because um, it really didn't affect the Ducks coaching staff per se, but Daryl Sutter leaves as a special advisor to to become the uh, head coach of the Calgary Flames, which, uh, you know, makes sense for him. It's where he's from. It's where, you know, he's been living when not working. Uh, It's where his family's from. Uh, You know, if he was going to ever take a coaching job, I think there was an article that said the only places he was going to go would be Calgary and Chicago. I'm not sure how chicago works into that other than they both, i guess they both think with the letter c yeah and and it being maybe a little bit closer to canada than obviously anaheim is uh but if you're picking calgary would you not also think edmonton would be on that list as well and i don't know if that has anything to do with his affiliations with the flames or not but i digress anyway um there was a rumor that had came out it has been since debunked that the ducks have were considering offering and had offered the coaching job uh, to fire Dallas Akins and hire Daryl Sutter. I think that got debunked pretty quickly, but it, it does play into kind of the coaching rumors right now where apparent, you know, apparently and in, in, in obviously Dallas Akins is on the hot seat. Um, you know, Travis Green in Vancouver is on the hot seat too, and he was a guy in the past that the Ducks were looking to hire and bring in before he signed with the Vancouver Canucks, and obviously Daryl Sutter's name being out there for a little bit sparked some rumors because he had connections with the Ducks organization that he could go there. Uh, you know, when we look at Aikens, I don't think he gets fired, but before the end of the season, um, but you know, out of Sutter and green and some of the other names out there are, are, are those some guys you would even consider taking over the coaching job from Dallas Aikens at this point? Nope. Uh, nope. For a couple of reasons. Um, uh, uh, Travis Green, I think, was in the running for a little while, and uh, yeah, I think even at one point, I was I was kind of hopeful. This is back when I think uh, they were talking about Randy Carlisle, and you know, he was in it, and uh, Travis yeah. Green was a possibility. I was like, I, I'd rather do Travis Green, but once again, he's not proven. He he's done, you know, a little bit in Vancouver, but hell, Dallas Aikens did a little bit in Edmonton, didn't do very well, hasn't done very well here. Um, I don't think taking a coach that's had no success on a team that's not having success and making it successful is an actual opportunity uh, to make it work. As far as Daryl Sutter, he's a dinosaur in my uh, my book, uh, and uh, you know it's you know he can be hard nosed as he wants to be. I, I don't know if he's actually going to make Calgary any better. Um, 
I did find it funny though with the uh, NHL and ESPN uh, kind of coming together. I don't know if you saw that that tweet where um, the last game ESPN ever broadcast was the uh, 2004 Stanley Cup Finals against the uh, Lightning and Calgary yep. Flames, where. Daryl Sutter was the coach of the Calgary Flames, and now ESPN is going to start it, and he's still <laughs> going to be the coach, be the coach of the Calgary Flames. That's kind of funny, but uh, no, I mean Dallas Aikens is here because um, Bob Murray's still here, and Bob Murray won't be here after this season, and um, it's up to the new GM, I guess, at that point if he has enough confidence in Dallas Aikens to give him another year. Or just bring in his own guy. I mean, ultimately, I feel like it's just going to come down to how the draft, the expansion draft, and the new GM feels about the situation. Um, I don't think uh, Travis Green's going to be in there because I think there's a lot better candidates moving forward. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. But I mean, even Seattle needs to get a new coach at some point. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I think where those Daryl Sutter to Anaheim rumors came from is, uh, I think it was Eric Stevens who put out a recent article where they talked about uh, Daryl Sutter leaving and going to the Calgary Flames, is that apparently the Ducks were working up to offering Daryl Sutter a assistant coach job. He, right now, he was special advisor. They wanted a veteran guy in the dugout or in the bench beside uh, Dallas Akins and, and kind of to be able to guide him. And, and he said it's something they've been looking for. It's something they want to do. But for some reason, because of the pandemic, they couldn't. And I think in Sutter's case, it's because, yeah. you know, he did he wanted to be close to his family. He doesn't really want to travel that much. Calgary makes, uh, you know, obvious sense for him to go back and, and, and coach there. Um, I don't think I, I don't see the reason why this is a focus for the for, for Bob Murray right now. And what is presumably his last year as general manager and could be. You know, the last year for Dallas Agins as head coach of the Anaheim Ducks, like you said, a new GM comes in. Um, you know, Dallas Agins has just as much chance as anybody else to be head coach uh, of the Ducks at that point. You know, why are you concerning yourself bringing a veteran presence to sit beside Dallas Agins on the bench? Is that not essentially what Dallas, uh, Dale Sutter was already as a special yeah. advisor and, and the point behind that? So I think that's where those rumors came from. But when you're looking at successors for Dallas Agins at this point, you know, there's a free agent out there in Gerard Gallant right now, who I think is the best option out of any of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it, when it comes to resume and pedigree and what he's done in the past with young teams like the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights, he would be at the top of my list of anybody. Even if Travis Green comes available, you know, Dale Sutter was never a guy I would have wanted in there. He would have felt like a typical Bob Murray hire. I think that would have been the closest him thing or, we could have Him expected. or Bruce Boudreaux again. <laughs> yeah. But, well, when you look at names that are out there right now, um, you know, outside of, you know, maybe some younger coaches in the AHL or whatnot, but in, in terms of resume and pedigree and, and, and their previous success, Gerard Gallant is... is, is it sucked because I've, I've really actually once it sucked because we I don't say sucked because I mean, I, I was hopeful that Dallas Aikens would get that chance and, you know, run with it and and be successful because, I mean, we all wanted that. But it was like it was like two or three months later, Vegas fired Galan. Well, crap. Crap, we could have cut Galan. We just <laughs> waited. But there's like there's no way you could just do Dallas. Dallas dirty like that, I guess. It was just, you know, you know, damn it. All right, well, 
we 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 picked our dance partner and um, we're we're gonna kind of stick with it. But I mean, if Gallant is still there, and obviously the season is what it is, I don't think uh, Dallas Aikens is gonna really change much, even if some miracle scenario for uh, Bob Murray happens, where Bob Murray is still the GM. I would think he probably cut ties with um, Dallas Aikens if um, uh, Gallant is still there because Gallant's got to be the best pick. I mean, he's speaking of being done dirty. He's been done dirty by two teams now. It just it doesn't make sense. This dude is going to win his Stanley Cup. He's just got to get a, a team to just stick with him. Yeah, and he has a history of coming into young teams and, and doing well. I think that's the big thing, right, is he's not like a coach that has to go into an already built team and then take them to another level. He takes kind of young, underperforming teams and brings them to to another level and, and, and you know gets them to Give a point them where confidence, they can. confidence, you know, you get yeah. Carolina confidence, Vegas confidence. I mean, he's just. He I mean, feels like a perfect fit <laughs> Yeah, um, for, for the Ducks. And I think, you know, the to wrap things up here, like the saving grace and, and the, the light at the end of the tunnel for Ducks fans this year is that presumably there'll be at least one big roster change or management change, sorry, at the end of the season here when Bob Murray's contract expires. Um, so, you know, you got to slog through it a little bit here to get to the end of the season and, and out of the expansion draft. And, and then likely Bob Murray is gone and a new general manager comes in. And then from there, you might see another big change when the new GM comes in and makes his decision on the coaching staff, which... Dallas Aikens doesn't have a glowing resume right now when you look at the last couple seasons and especially this year uh, in in appealing to a new general manager. And I'm not sure he'd get glowing reviews necessarily from from the players either. Uh, I think a lot of people in the organization, especially the players, are looking for a new voice, and that starts general manager down. And sometimes it's just better to wipe the slate clean, which we might see this summer. So, you know, we've got 23, 24 games to slog through here before we can get to that point. But, uh, you know, it it feels different this year because at least, you know, there is at least one big change coming at the organizational level, potentially too, and and that we can finally see some fresh faces, a new direction, uh, you know, a a new injection of, of uh, management staff into this organization. And so hopefully, that's something that we can look forward to uh, for this offseason, along with with another top five pick potentially as well uh, in, in the draft. So that uh, that pretty much wraps it up for today. Unless you got uh, got another thing you want to end on here, Jay? Uh, no, just uh, you know, just uh, touch on what you said. You know, uh, new you know changes will be happening. So and until then, we got uh, twenty plus games. So as you need therapy, we all do. We all watch the games. Me, Eddie, Pat, Steven. We all get frustrated watching it, and uh, we have to hop on and just uh, release those feelings. So encourage everybody to get on, you know, put in your comments because uh, we do read them, we do try and talk about them, and uh, you're not alone. There, we are, <laughs> we are a family, we are a support group, we are here for therapy, and we will get through this and uh, better days hopefully ahead. Yeah, we we appreciate you guys coming out too. Uh, yeah. We all know it's it's a tough season to to kind of you know deal with and go through right now but uh you know that's why we like doing these post game shows we could interact with a lot of you live after the game and kind of go through things and then for everybody you know who listens after the fact we we appreciate that too and again uh, apologize for for some of the last two shows i appreciate everybody who did reach out just to make sure that we were okay and that we were still doing shows and when our next show is going to get posted on spotify Uh, (laughs) but uh 
uh, you know, I appreciate you guys reaching out. So, you know, we had some audio issues and, and we had uh, some me issues. I fell asleep for the last <laughs> one. So we will uh, we'll be kind of hopefully a little bit more on schedule for the next upcoming shows here. I think we got a back-to-back Friday, Saturday this week against the Sharks to attend the weekend here. So as is always with the back-to-back games, we are only doing a show after the second game. So we will be back on Saturday night to break down uh, the Sharks versus Ducks series. Hopefully some good games, at least if not a, a win or two sprinkled in there. But again, oh, thanks. You, you optimistic fuck you. <laughs> I got to be a little bit optimistic. All right, cool. I'll allow it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we appreciate you guys coming out. We'll be there uh, for Saturday. And as people are saying, yes, Stephen, a.k.a. Sniffles, will likely be on that show. So he'll be uh, making his return to the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, have a good night, guys, and we'll see you on Saturday night. Take care. Bye, guys. Hey, guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.